Welcome to the River Bluff Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you enjoy this sermon from Associate Pastor Terry File. And for more information about us, please visit riverbluff.org. Good morning. Good morning, and uh, we are in week two of this teaching series called Personal God. And uh, as we said at the beginning of last week, because Jesus rose from the dead, because he lives, every person has the opportunity to have a relationship with God. And so last week we talked about how we have a personal God who speaks. And God speaks to us and he does it in a variety of ways and so we we talked about that. And so the question we need to ask ourselves is, am I listening? Am I hearing his voice? Am I tuned in to his voice? And if not, why? Because I've found in my own life that if I have a hearing problem, if I'm having a hard time hearing God, it's usually a heart problem. And that means that something is off inside of me and, and I must address that. So the goal, if you will, of the Christ follower is for his voice to be the loudest and the clearest voice in our lives. So in order to live well, in order for us to live fully, in order for us to experience this abundant life that Jesus says we can have, we must hear his voice above all the other competing voices. And there's a lot of them. And we must actively wage war on those voices Tune them out, kind of like a radio dial, like we talked about last week. Go take the static and those channels off and dial in, turn into, tune into the voice of God, the Father's voice. So if you missed last week, I strongly encourage you to go on our website, riverbluff.org, and take some time this week to watch, to listen to the sermon, because I believe it will be helpful to you in being able to hear when God speaks to you. So this morning we're going to talk about how we have a personal God who loves. So if you want to grab your Bible and turn to 1 John chapter 4, 1 John 4, if you got an outline on the way in, you may want to go ahead and pull that out. Uh, I'm going to be reading from the New Living Translation here in just a moment. So 1 John 4. As you're finding that, I think it's interesting that there are hundreds, hundreds of names for God in the Bible. He's Yahweh, He's Jehovah, He's Father, Son, Holy Spirit, He's Mighty God, ever, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, Wonderful Counselor, He's our shield, refuge, He's our Savior and Lord, and, that, and that's just to name a few. And so He's all of that and much more, so much more than our, our human minds can truly comprehend. But if you were to ask me, Terry, what do you believe is like the central quality of God. I would answer with the same three words that the Apostle John did when he used to describe him in what we're about to read. So we're in 1 John 4. Let's begin in verse 7. Dear friends, let us continue to love one another for love comes from God. Anyone who loves is born of God and knows God. But anyone who does not love does not know God for God is love. God showed how much He loved us by sending His only Son into the world so that we might have eternal life through Him. This is real love. 
It is not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Dear friends, since God loved us that much, we ought to love each other. No one has ever seen God, but if we love each other, God lives in us and His love has been brought to full expression through us. Now let's skip down to verse 16. We know how much God loves us and we have put our trust in Him. God is love and all who live in love live in God and God lives in them. And as we live in God, our love grows more perfect. So we will not be afraid on the, on the day of judgment, but we can face Him with confidence because we are like Christ in this world. Such love has no fear. Why? Because perfect love expels fear. If we are afraid, it is for fear of judgment. And this shows that His love has not been perfected in us. We love each other as a result of His loving us first. Those are powerful words and I wanted to put them on your outline on purpose. The clearest description of God, this personal God, three words. God is love. A.W. Tozer wrote, Whatever comes into your mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. So if love is not one of the first things that comes to your mind when you think about God, then you have an incomplete understanding of who God is. I would also say this, that if love is the only thing that comes to mind, you have an incomplete understanding of who God is. Now, listen, His love includes tough love. God is just, and God is judge, and He corrects, He, he rebukes, he, he disciplines those He loves. Kind of like as a father, I would discipline my sons. Why do I do it? Am I angry? No. I love them. I want things to be better. So I am totally convinced that even if we don't like these tough love talks that God gives us sometime, here's what I'm convinced of. He always, always has our best interest at heart. Now the word love in the English language is one of the most overused and undervalued words. We can say in one conversation, I love pizza. Like we just had Papa John's the other night. I love Papa John's. Hawaiian chicken barbecue, right? I love running. I love you. And I love college football. All in one conversation using one word. If you get into the scriptures, and we don't have time today, if you go into the Old Testament, oh my gosh, the depths and beauty of, of the words love in the Old Testament, amazing. That's a time for, that's a study for another day. You get into the New Testament, there are many words, but there are four primary words in the Greek for love. Storge is one of the words for love. It is, it is a familial love. It's love between family members. I love my brothers and sisters, my mom and dad type of deal. Eros. That's a sexual love. That's where we get the word erotic. And I just would say if you dig a little deeper into that study, then you realize that it's really about self-satisfaction. So I wouldn't say that's really love. Phileo, that is friendship love. That's like brotherly love. Hi, brother. Hi, sister. You know, just this friendship love. And then you get to this other word for love. It's in its own category. Nothing's even close to that. It's very, very different. It is agape or agapao. Every time that you heard 
The word love and what I just read to you from 1 John, every single time that word love was in there, it's either agape or agapao. It is the noblest word for love in the Greek. It has the meaning or the idea of prizing and cherishing the one love. So I love this person, so I prize them, I, I cherish them. It also is a love that de delights in giving. So it's a sacrificial type of love. I give. There's no strings attached, right? It is uh, it's to benefit the one love. It is not a feeling. It's not a feeling. Here's my favorite definition of agape. Agape love keeps on loving even when... The loved one is unresponsive, unkind, undeserving, and unworthy. Wow. <laughs> it truly is an unconditional love. No strings attached. Agape desires the good of the person. Always best interest at heart. Agape is from God. It is a divine love that is available to us. He is the source of that love. Why? Because God is love. Now... It is difficult for any of us in here really to kind of like wrap our minds around this because m many of us, if not most of us, have never received this from another person. Uh, human love is mostly conditional. It's mostly conditional. If, if, if this person says this, if they do this, if they keep doing this, then I will love them. If they don't, then I won't. So it's kind of a, a love that's based on feelings and emotions and, I would add, expectations. So if I'm not feeling it, if the emotions aren't there, I can't find them, and they're not meeting an expectation of mine, then here's the thinking. I don't love him anymore. I don't love her anymore. That's because life and our culture and this world <laughs> has trained us that's probably the best way to say it, has programmed us to believe that love is temporary and conditional. It's kind of like the story of the young girl who, uh, she gave her boyfriend a picture of herself in a frame. So he got this picture, and on the back of this picture, she wrote this short note that said this, I love you more than life itself. I'm yours forever. Love always, Ashley. And so this unconditional commitment contained this postscript at the bottom, P.S., if we ever break up, I want this picture back. Because it's the only one I have. <laughs> yeah. And so, so we laugh at that. And, and, and I've had some of those experiences as a kid and as a teenager and all that. I love you forever. But think about it. The concept of temporary, unconditional love extends into adulthood. So it describes this couple who has successfully raised two or three kids. They're, they've gotten them through college and everything. And now they look at one another and they don't know how to relate to one another. And I've heard it way too many times. I just don't love him anymore. I'm not in love with her anymore. In love. See, we have a tough time believing that God's love can be any different than that. We know it, but we, we have a tough time really grasping it. Because we kind of put onto God what we feel and what we experience. And we may even believe that we will never actually experience this level of love that I've just writ, read from you from 1 John, this agape love, because it seems impossible. The very fact that a holy, eternal, all-knowing, all-powerful God loves you 
and loves me is nothing short of astonishing. The wildest part is he doesn't need me and he doesn't need you. And yet, he wants us. He wants us. The irony is that while God doesn't need us but still wants us, we desperately need him and yet we don't want him much of the time. Some of us feel this. If I fail too often, if I give into this sin too many more times, if I keep giving into this bad habit, that God is going to decide, enough, I'm taking my love back, I don't love you anymore. It's kind of like the game that some little girls down the street used to play when I was a kid. And Stephen, if you want to show that picture, they, they, they would think of some cute guy, and it was probably me. No, no I'm just kidding. No. They would pick a daisy. Wow. They would pick a daisy and start saying, He loves me. He loves me not. He loves me. I'd get down to the last. He loves me not. Right? Did you know that we play a similar game? If we've had a good day at work, God loves me. If I lose my temper at work, He loves me not. We see someone in need and we help. He loves me. We walk by the person in need. He loves me not. Man, I aced the chemistry test. He loves me. I bombed it. He loves me not. It's so bizarre because even though we know, or at least as much as we can, that Christ loves us, we're not always sure that He likes us. Uh, and so what we do is we worry that His love is just going to wear out. It's, it's going to run out. It's going to run dry. It's just going to fizzle out. Theologians speak of the fact that God created everything freely, not out of necessity. So last week we said, God, God said, let there be light, and there was. He spoke it, and it came into being. He created everything there is freely, not out of necessity. Have you ever really thought about that? That's important because God did not make us because he was bored one day or he was lonely or he had run out of things to do. He did not create you and he did not create me out of need. He made you and he shaped you and he formed you as Psalm 139 so eloquently describes out of love. Out of love. C.S. Lewis said this. Look at this. God who needs nothing loves into existence holy, superfluous creatures in order that he may love and perfect them. You may feel unlovely and unlovable right now, but you are not unloved. Let that sink in. You may feel unlovely and unlovable as you sit there, but you are not unloved. I read the other day where a guy started listing out all kinds of people, different categories of people that God loves. And so he started with the letter A. And, and he actually went through Z, but I'm just going to just read you a few things here. He wrote this. He said, God loves artists, astronauts, and accordion players. Uh, he loves ankle biters, athletes, and airplane pilots. He loves animal rights activists and accountants, even during tax season. God loves people from Alabama. Miss Ruth was in the first service. Roll tie. Alaska, Africa, and Albania. God loves awkward people, assertive people, antisocial people, and aggravating people. How about the bees? God loves babies, bankers, and band leaders. He loves Bible readers, biology teachers, and bus drivers, including the bad ones. God loves blondes, brunettes, and even people with blue hair. 
He loves bosses, brats, people with braces, and Baptists. God, lo God loves the beat up, the burned out, the brittle, and the broken. And he goes on and on, but basically we get the point. God loves everyone. So if you've ever felt distant from God because of your sin, because of your brokenness, because of this mess, whatever it may be, you're not alone. 1 Peter 4.8 says, God's love covers a multitude of sins. A multitude. So no matter what you've done, God's love and forgiveness is bigger than your biggest sins. And His grace, this is the cool part, His grace is greater than all of them. So the question is not, does God love you? Now you may still not feel that, but we've already answered that question. God loves you. The question is this. Do you love Him? Uh, do you want to love Him? Do you want to experience His love? Do you want true meaning and purpose and vision and direction for your life? Do you want a full life that Jesus said, here it is, you can have it. Do you want joy and freedom? Do you want peace that is like, it takes over your inside that no matter what comes into your life and no matter what you face, you're okay. Do you want that? I ask that because if you will open the door of your heart to Jesus... You will experience a love that can remove the locks and bolts that have kept you locked up and isolated and alone this entire time. Jesus said it this way. He said, I stand at the door of your heart and I knock. Jesus knocks at people's heart doors. Here's what I find interesting. The door of our heart only has a handle on the inside. It only has a knob on the inside. So Jesus is knocking, but only you can turn the handle. You're in control of the knob and, and you pull it open. He's knocking. The Holy Spirit's speaking and moving, trying to call you to himself. He will not force the door open from the outside. You have to want to open the door of your heart to Jesus. Look back at verse 16 on your outline. I put it in bold. We know how much God loves us and we have what? We have put our trust in Him. We put our trust in Him. That is, that last phrase is the key. When we understand how much God loves us, we are faced with a decision. The Bible says that God showed the extent of His love. The extent. He demonstrated His love by sending His only Son, Jesus, to die for us. To become a sacrifice for all our sins. It was the only way. If there would have been another way, God would have done it. No, it's the only way. So that is crazy. God loves us that much. Only son died on the cross. Wow. He didn't have to do it. Yet he did. Why? Love. Love. Here's, here's the reality. Our sin cuts us off from God. It's almost like as if, if, if I'm here and Jesus is over there, it's almost as if there's this inscalable wall that goes up. It goes to infinity. There's nothing I can do about it. I can't break it down. I can't climb it. I can't reach over it, anything like that. And that wall has written on it my sin. It separates me from God. But Jesus' death on the cross and then his resurrection from the dead, defeating the power and the grip and the control of sin in our lives, he broke the wall down. But here's the deal. He's knocking, 
You've got to open the door and you've got to be the one who's willing to say, can I come across? Can I come? Here I am. So in order to experience His grace, freedom, victory, and a relationship with God, we must put our trust in Him. That means to believe upon Him. That means to fully, totally rely upon Him that all of my hope, all of my confidence, confidence being an anchor, I'm anchoring into Jesus. In Jesus. That two-letter word is so, so key. In Jesus Christ. We know how much God loves us, so we have put our trust in Jesus. We make a decision. Maybe you're, you've never come to that place before. Maybe you've been in church most of your life, but you've never come to that place before. But you are listening right now, and Jesus is knocking, and you have this deep sense inside of yourself that today is my day, right now is the moment where I am opening the door, and I am saying, Jesus, I need you, and I believe you. So here's what I want to do. I want to ask everybody to close your eyes. I'm not going to do anything funny. I'm not going to do anything to try to manipulate anybody. But if you're in here this morning and you realize, I need God. I believe in Jesus. Why don't you tell him? Say something like this. It's not the words. It's not a formula. It's your heart. Lord Jesus, I believe in you. I don't deserve your grace, your forgiveness, your love. But I believe. And I want a relationship with you. My sin has separated me from you. Please forgive me, Lord. Cleanse me. I decide right now to place my trust and put all of my hope and confidence in you. You are my Savior and my Lord. Thank you for saving me. In your name I pray. Amen. Now I just want to say this. If Jesus was knocking at the heart of your heart and you told him that you wanted a relationship with him, the Bible says you have just been saved. What does that mean? That means your status before God has changed. That means you have literally passed from death into life. That means that you have new life. That means that right now, from this day forward, eternal life has just begun. <laughs> okay. The Holy Spirit has come to live inside of you. Yeah, I know it sounds weird, but it's just the reality. Your reality has changed. You are now in a relationship with God that will last forever. You're no longer defined by the mistakes and choices that you've made. You're no longer defined by the labels that have been put upon you. You're no longer defined by the lies that the enemy has tried to tell you. You are a child of God. Every person in this room, if you have opened the door to Jesus, you are a child of God. And I love how Ephesians 1.5 says it and describes it this way. Look at this. His, as God's unchanging plan, has always been to what? To adopt. My, that's a beautiful word. His plan has always been to adopt. I'm an orphan. I'm cut off. Somebody loves me. I want to adopt him. Into his family by bringing us to himself. How? Through Jesus Christ. The only way. He is the only way. Through Jesus. So now you're a part of the family. God's forever family. If you just prayed and received Christ, welcome to the family. What do you do next? You go public. We had a... We had a baptism in the first service. We baptized one of our middle school girls. She said, I just want to make it public. Jesus is Lord. That's the next step for you. So if you've given your life to Christ today, please fill something out on a connection card. Let us know. Come find me. Come find one of the people at the crosses at the end of the service. We'd love to, to help you take the next step there. So for all of us now, if you're in Christ, you are his son or daughter. Son or daughter of the King of Kings who is also 
your good father. You are more than a conqueror. Did you know that? You're a new creation in Christ. He has given his Holy Spirit to, to you to lead you, guide you, and to live in you. You are the righteousness of Christ. You can do all things through Christ who gives you strength. And here's the cool part. You are completely and fully loved by God. 1 John 3, 1 says it best. See what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called what? Children of God. And that is what we are. Some of you need to memorize that verse and, and be convinced of the truth and remind yourself when things get crazy, that is what I am. Thank you, Father. It's always been your plan to adopt us into your family through Jesus Christ. Anyone who comes to the Father comes through Jesus. Now, some of you have been in a relationship with God for quite a while. And uh, you've been living the, the Christ-following Christian life for, for a long time. Some of you for many years, almost maybe almost your entire life. And even though we know God loves us, and even though we know we belong to Him and we're His children, sometimes life gets challenging, right? And sometimes life gets crazy. Sometimes it feels out of control. And, and sometimes it feels like we're fighting battles all day, every day. And so what happens when that takes place is... We often forget who, who we are. We often forget who the Lord is and that He's protecting us, He's caring for us, He's loving us. So we need to be reminded. Author and pastor John Ortberg, he retells this story of this movie. The movie is called The Bear. And it's a saga of this little bear cub whose mother dies. So when you're watching the movie, you know, you know the little cub has survives, but the viewer knows that his long-term chances of survival are nil. Then the unexpected happens. This little cub gets adopted by an enormous Kodiak bear. <laughs> okay. This giant Kodiak is always watching over the cub. So he protects it. He teaches the cub how to be a bear. Here's how you be a bear. And everything the father bear does, the cub imitates. So if you watched it, you would be filled with hope because you, you're thinking, yeah, this, this cub, is he's he got a future. He's going to live. One day they get separated. So little, little bear can't see his father anywhere. Uh, he's looking around, can't see him. And, and then a mountain lion sees his opportunity. So this mountain lion comes in swiftly gets up face to face with this little bear cub and he's about to pounce. So this little bear cub kind of rises up on his little hind leg, you know, raises his arms and his paws up in order to try to scare this mountain lion away. But he's, because he's so frightened and so scared, all he can manage is just a frightened squeak. Right? I don't know if that sounded, sound, but that's how I make it. And so this mountain lion, he's, he's standing there and this mountain lion's not convinced. And he knows in his heart of hearts, I'm about to die. The camera focuses on the mountain lion's face, and then everything changes. You see fear. A register a look of fear. So he stops snarling, he turns, and he slinks away. The camera pans back, and what we see what we did not know was there. We see what this little bear cub cannot see. Directly behind that little bear is this giant Kodiak, this father, who has raised up on his hind legs 
and got his arms and paws up, and he's poised to save his son with a single swipe. Big Paul's fierce growl. And then we know it. The little bear had nothing to really worry about. The cub couldn't see him or hear him. But the father was there all the time. The forest was actually a perfectly safe place for this little cub to be. Because the father could be trusted even though it seemed that he was distant. This story is true for you as well. You will take risks in life and you will face problems. Absolutely, no doubt about it. And sometimes you will be afraid and you will be tempted to believe that you're all alone and that no one sees you or cares uh, and that you're on your own. And when that happens, because I love the power of stories. Stories always bring people in. You be talking facts, people start dozing off, you tell a story. Some of y'all need to remember the story of the giant Kodiak, the father who adopted this little bear. Remember, someone is watching over you. You may not be able to see him. You may not even be able to hear him at that moment. But you're never out of your father's sight, never out of his care. He protects those who love him. Periodically, I have to take myself back, and sometimes it's a spirit that just draws me back to one of the most foundational chapters in the Bible, Romans chapter 8. And what I've got to do is read and meditate, contemplate, and then just reabsorb the words. Look at what Romans 8, 38 to 39 says. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen? So Paul covers all the bases. One way to say it, and it sounds funny, you're stuck with God's love whether you want it or not. You're stuck with it. The words, nor anything in all of creation, mean that nothing could cause God to stop loving us and nothing can cut us off from His love. We could say it, maybe translate it this way. Neither failure nor poor church, church attendance neither inadequate Bible reading or prayer, neither betrayal, doubt, weakness, nor insecurity, shame, guilt, sin, lack of trust, poor choices, or even losing my temper can separate me from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. He loves you when you live like His disciple, and He loves you when you don't. Now, I'm not giving you an excuse to not, but He still loves you. When you succeed, God says, I love you. When you fail, God says, I love you. When you have faith, God says, I love you. And when you get afraid and you get doubtful, God says, I love you. Why? Because God is love. His love is sticky. You're stuck with it. It's, it's constant. It's, it's, it's permanent. It's persistent. Nothing you will ever do can make God love you more than he loves right now at this exact moment. And nothing you will ever do will love God love you more, make God love you more less than he loves you at this moment. Right? He would never God loves you, he wouldn't love you any less. Nothing will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. I believe this. 
If you and I will decide daily to take the truth of the Scripture, and even just the ones we talk, talked about this morning, and if we would decide daily to plant, I know I said this last week, it's just so true, you've got to plant your, yourself firmly upon the truth and stand firm. Something that has a hold and power over us will lose the hold and power. Can you guess what I'm talking about? Fear. Fear. We're in church right now, some of you are sitting there and you're afraid. Maybe not about this place, you feel safe. But you're fearful right now. Fear has the... the, one, of the one of the characteristics of fear is that it can paralyze us. And so what it does is it grip, gets a grip upon our thoughts and we start thinking things. Uh, and then it starts getting down into our emotions. And then it starts uh, filtering through our souls. And the next thing you know, we're paralyzed and we can't do anything. We can't move. God says, I want you to do this or I want you to go here. We just can't do it. Talk to this person. Just can't do it. And so what happens is fear gets its grip like those claws. Fear gets its claws into us. And if we let it, it just kind of holds us in a grip. And we're locked up. But it doesn't have to be that way. Verse 18 of 1 John 4 says this. Such love has no fear. Because perfect love, agape love, God's love expels all fear. God's love drives it out. It casts it out. It's like if you have this fear in your life and you begin to really lean into God and plant yourself upon it, it's like that thing just kind of just filters and you're like, dude, God's love is huge. I'm going to stand in who I am in Him. I'm going to stand in the authority He's given me. Be gone type of deal. You know, it drives it out. If you are always afraid, God's love has not been perfected in you. Don't hear me say that that means that you've lost your salvation, because you can't. But what that means is, is that you need to trust Him more fully, and you need to take His Word more to heart, and you need to lean into it. So there's this initial, we, we know God loves us, and we are placing our trust in Him when we come to know Him as Lord and Savior, but there's this continual trust, this continual, I'm going to plant myself upon the promises of God. I, here's the way I think about it. You, you and I, every day throughout our day, we have to figure out moments, like I said last week, being still and everything, to where what we can do is refocus on who God is. Now, he is the one watching over us. He's big. He's the Father. And He's King. And then we need to re remember who we are in relation to Him. We're sons and daughters of the King of Kings who is our Father. So when we stand firmly upon that and we recognize who He is and who we are, fear starts to just dissipate. And the more we do that, the less it, power it has in our lives. So here's, here's the deal. As a result, you and I will live more courageously. We'll be more bold. We will trust what God says. And we will live the mission. We will pursue boldly the mission. And what's the mission? It's the mission. And that is to make disciples of all nations, all people groups, who make disciples who change the world. Because what do we have to be afraid of? <laughs> we're standing there and we think we're all like, and we're scared to death. But who's behind us and who's watching over us? God our Father. What do we have to be afraid of, really? Because if God is for us, who can be against us? Perfect love expels all fear. And then as 1 John says, what will happen is we will begin to love each other this way. 
you'll begin to love one another. We'll begin to love one another, not just in our nuclear families, but in the family of God. We'll begin to love one another selflessly and sacrificially and, and giving and agape love. And here's what Jesus says. When you do that, guess what? The watching world realizes that you belong to me. So it's like God's love, we, we live in God's love and we let it flow over us like this huge river flows into us, but we don't stay there. We let it flow out of us in loving other people. And people know that we're, we belong to Him because of that. Now, as I wrap up, I want to share what I believe is one of the most beautiful passages of Scripture with you. It's from Isaiah 43. And you've got it on your outline, and it's going to come up on the screen, but here's what I want you to do. It sounds weird to tell you not to do this, but don't look at the outline, and don't look at the screen. You can look at that on your outline later. This is God speaking to His people. He's speaking to us. He's speaking to you. He's speaking to me. And as I read these, please just listen closely. Allow them to wash over your heart. Hear your Father's heart. Be strengthened, and be encouraged. The Lord says this, do not be afraid. I think we can stop right there, right? For I have ransomed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you go through deep waters, I will be with you. When you go through rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. When you walk through the fire of oppression, you will not be burned up. The flames will not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One your Savior. And these last words, you are precious to me. You are honored and I love you. In Christ, you are the beloved of God. You are honored. He loves you. You are precious to Him. You are His beloved. Believe it. Live in it. Share it. What is God saying to you? What is He pointing out in you this morning? If I know anything about God, the way He works with me is He shows me one thing. He doesn't load it all on me. Thank God you don't do that. What's the one thing He's showing to you, pointing out to you that He wants to do or He's asking of you? Whatever it is, please do it. Let's pray. God, our Father, thank you for how deep your love for us is, that you have lavished it out on us, you have poured it out on each of us. And then when we have come to the place of recognizing who you are and how much we need you, and we open the door of our hearts to you, we become children of God, and that is who we are. That is our identity. God, thank you that as we plant ourselves upon the truth of your word, which is alive and active, that what you do is we hold on to you and fear begins to lose its grip. God, I pray for my brothers and sisters in here today who are eaten up with fear. God, help them to grab a hold of you, trust in you, place their trust in you again and again, and believe, and fear can lose its grip. 
The enemy wants us to live paralyzed. But you want us to live free, first of all, to walk with you and to know you, and then to help other people know you. So thank you. Father, as we take this time now, we, we bring back to you these tithes, these offerings. They're yours. You've blessed our lives. May we be faithful in giving to you. And may you use this to help more people come to know the personal God that we know. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you're in North Charleston this Sunday, please consider visiting us for our 9.30 or 11 o'clock services. We'd love to see you. Again, for more information, visit riverbluff.org. Now go change the world.